you have your Bible, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. That's what we're going to be doing as a church family over the next weeks. So make your way there to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, we've talked uh, in other ways about the introduction to this book, but specifically I want to introduce this guy, the Apostle Paul. And uh, if, you've, if you've read your Bible very much at all, especially maybe through the book of Acts, um, I want to ask you, what, what image comes to mind when you think of the Apostle Paul? Like what what kind of dude comes to mind as you just picture? You know, we don't have photographs of him. We don't, we don't have any paintings of him, but, but what, what comes to mind? So here's the deal. You think of the guy, and um, rightly so, um, maybe heroic would be a word. Like if you were to see a picture of him, maybe heroic, uh, bold, you know, courageous, strong. I mean, really smart. I mean, he, you know, was in a shipwreck and got everybody safe and all. I mean, just... All sorts of things. You maybe come up with an almost bigger than life image in your mind. I was I was thinking about that, and then I actually started googling around. And there's this there's this statue in Vatican City. I've never been there, but I I, I was just looking at the. Have some of you guys been to Vatican City? Okay, so you will know the statue that I'm talking about because it's very prominent. There's a statue of the Apostle Paul standing outside of of the Sistine Chapel, and he is enormous. You guys, this guy is. 18 feet tall, chiseled out of marble. Okay, so everything that you might have imagined is like embodied in this statue, just solid stone, 18 foot tall. In his, in one of his arms, he's got a sword, a nine foot long sword is in one of his hands, right? And he's got it kind of casually thrown over his shoulder. Like, it's just sitting here, but I do know what to do with this thing. You know, kind of like... I. I'm on the ready all the time. So he's got this nine-foot-long sword in his hand, 18-foot-tall dude. And then in his other hand, he's got this scroll kind of coming down. And on the scroll is a verse out of Philippians chapter 4 that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? So just this massive dude, sword, I can do all things. And I'm just telling you, like, if that's the guy that walked into town preaching anything, you'd just be like, I believe, okay, <laughs> I believe, don't hit me, don't hurt me. You know what I mean? Just this imposing guy. It is everything that you might imagine. It is actually exactly the opposite of what I think was true about the Apostle Paul. We don't have much by way of description, but what we do have paints a very different picture than what is maybe embodied in that 18-foot tall statue. So in the next book, we're not going to look at it, but in the book of 2 Corinthians, he's talking to them about some of the rumors that he's heard in the street about what people think and say about him when he's not in town. And one of the things that is said about the Apostle Paul in the city of Corinth is this from 2 Corinthians 10. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical appearance is weak and his public speaking amounts to nothing. Whoa. I mean, here's what they're saying. Oh yeah, he can write a mean letter. Yeah, he's a good letter writer. Not much to look at. Right. And and certainly speaking, nah, not so much. Right. Not a very impressive dude. There's another book. It's 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 apocryphal. It's part of the apocrypha. So you don't have it uh, likely in your Bibles, but it's from the first century. It actually is a book that bears his name. But here's here's the description from this apocryphal book about the Apostle Paul. Ready? He was a man of middling size. Middling size, please. For the love of God and all that is holy, do, do not ever use that as a description for me, right? Jeff, he's a guy of middling size. Okay, I don't know. 
Sounds like an accusation more than a description. But anyway, man of middling size. And it gets worse. His hair was scanty. His legs were a little crooked. His knees were projecting. And he had large eyes. And his eyebrows met. Okay, we got a word for that, don't we? A unibrow. That dude sported a unibrow. And his nose was somewhat long. And I love this last line. And he was full of grace and mercy. <laughs> it's like in the South, you've been, God bless him. You know, oh, the, the Lord bless him. Bless his heart. Maybe in the North, we'd say, but he had a good personality. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. That is actually the description of the guy that marches into Corinth and starts preaching the gospel. That's the guy. Not the 18-foot, chiseled in granite, sword-bearing, imposing guy with an unbelievable skill at oratory. Nope, that's not the guy. The guy that walked into town was a guy of middling size, right? Who was not much to look at, not much to listen to. But here's what we're going to find as we get into chapter 2. That guy that got to Corinth... He was convinced of of a lot of things that that turned the world upside down, starting in Corinth, but all around the world, all the way to Iowa City in 2020. Here's what Paul is going to give us an example of as we go through this. Paul came to Corinth not to be an impressive guy, but he was annoyingly focused on Jesus Christ. I mean, annoyingly focused on Jesus Christ. We're also going to see that he truly believed deep in his heart. He was convinced of the craziest story that you maybe have ever heard. And more than that, he was absolutely content to let God do the convincing of other people of what he believed. He had no desire to force something down the throats of the Corinthians. He was totally content to let God do his work. And so, that's, I'm already kind of previewing what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 2, and that's the kind of church that I think all of us want Veritas to be. And if, and if you're newer even to, to Veritas and you're wondering what, what kind of a church is this, oh, my prayer is that this would be the description of what Veritas church is. And the first one is that idea that Veritas is annoyingly focused on Jesus Christ. So let's look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and just see what I mean and why I, why I say it that way. Here's what he says. Paul says this. You know, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. In fact, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. I came to you with much trembling Look, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Okay, I just want to stop there. We'll go a little deeper into the passage, but I just want you to soak in that, maybe even glance over it. By the way, I just want to say, I know we're outside and you're, you're having to haul chairs and maybe kids and everything else. If it's possible for you guys to bring actually like, Bibles with you. I just think there's so much to be gained by having a pencil in hand, pen in hand, and all that. I know it's easier on an app for sure, and I I use the Bible on my app all, all the time, but for times like this where you really want to dig in and underline stuff, man, just 
And, and if you guys are in need of Bibles, we have these, these just uh, inexpensive hardbacks. And we'll, maybe we'll even haul them out here next weekend for you guys to be able to, to get one if you, if you haven't yet. But I want you to just kind of drink in those first five verses a little bit because I want you to see clearly that Paul did not come to Corinth to somehow try to come off as some brilliant Greek orator. Like the Greeks, they were known for their ability to get up and kind of wax eloquent, you know, and wow the crowd with their orations. Paul said, you know what? I had no desire. Not only could I not do it, I wasn't even trying to become this brilliant Greek order. I wasn't trying to come in as some fearless Roman centurion. I wasn't trying to come in and, and power over you, right? With the sword kind of a thing. No, no, no. In fact, I came in in weakness, he wasn't chiseled in marble. In fact, he was a less than impressive guy. You know, by the way, speaking of this, there was a rumor going around about five years ago, I think by now, that uh, Ben Affleck and I think a couple other guys were going to go together and make a movie about the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was kind of newsy for a while. They were going to, and you know who they had lined up to star as the Apostle Paul? Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. I am so glad that that movie never got made, that I know of. It hasn't come out yet if if they did make it. Because, guys, the Apostle Paul was not the Wolverine, right? He wasn't this, like, chiseled specimen of a male. Guys, he had a unibrow, okay? Gets into Corinth, and I'm telling you, by his own description, look at that. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. I didn't have this just chiseled look of determination. No, I came with fear. I was, I was trembling because he knows he has one job. The Apostle Paul saying, I had one job, and it's to tell everyone that I encounter about Jesus and about him crucified. I'm here to tell about Jesus and him crucified. Now, here is the irony. I don't want the irony of this to be lost on you as, as you keep staring down at those verses. He says, I wanted it to be a demonstration of the Spirit's power, of God's power. Now, think about this. Paul, here's what you're saying. You're saying you were weak, that you were afraid, that you were trembling, and you want that somehow to be delivered as a power, right? Wait, you're telling me that what you're going to be talking about is this guy, Jesus, who was crucified. That's what he says, right? I, I decided to know nothing about you, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So you're going to give us the substance of your message about a leader who was impaled to a cross, killed on a cross. You're saying it was stammering lips, and somehow we're supposed to be overwhelmed by God's power and the Spirit's power, right? That's crazy. And it gets even crazier than that as you keep going through 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So let's look at the next little section there, starting in verse 6. How are are the Corinthians supposed to pick up this idea that this message is of Spirit's power and God's power? Well, look at verse 6. You know, we do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of, of this age who are coming to nothing. No, on the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for your glory. Okay, now check this out. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared for these prepared these things for those who love him. Guys, 
Paul is teaching us something, and I want this to be true of Veritas. Veritas is fully convinced of the craziest of stories. Fully convinced of the craziest of stories. Now, when I say crazy stories, I don't mean ridiculous. and I, I don't mean bizarre. I mean a, whoa, never saw that coming kind of crazy, okay? The, the kind of story that nobody could have anticipated, nobody could have figured out, nobody could have got to the end. You know, if, if you're watching a movie, you're like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to get killed. They're going to be the hero. Da, da, da. You know, what he's saying is nobody could have anticipated the way this thing was going to play out. That's what makes it the craziest of stories. No one saw it coming at all. Which, of course, made me think of an epic scene from the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, if, if you guys get, ever get tired of me talking about the Chronicles of Narnia... I think you're just going to have to live with it because I'm just going to keep bringing them up because they're just so fascinating. So in the very first book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, here's what happens. Um, there's, a, there's a traitor, and his name's Edmund. He's one of the children that has made their way into Narnia. And some of you have read this, and you know, you know where this is going. Edmund is a traitor. He's a, he's a punk of a kid, right? He turned on his own brothers and sisters. So here's the deal. He's a traitor, and the deep magic of Narnia, this land that, the, that he's in, the deep magic of Narnia required that every traitor be handed over to the evil witch. And the evil witch killed every traitor that got into her clutches. So that's, that's where Edmund finds himself. But at that point, Aslan, who's the god figure, Aslan the lion, Aslan steps in and makes a deal with the witch. Aslan says, I'm going to forfeit my life for the traitor Edmund. Kill me, let him go free. Which, what a deal for the witch, Right? I mean, here's the God figure. Here's the powerful one. Here's the line. Oh, I get to kill him instead of this little punk kid. Oh, sure. Let him go. I'll take you any day, right? So she's just like ecstatic about this. So here's what happens. Um, the witch kills Aslan. And there's a couple of the kids watching this whole scene take place. The witch kills Aslan and then in her just euphoria runs off to celebrate and takes all of her band with her and they're celebrating, right? And here's what happens. All of a sudden, the ground begins to shake. The table that Aslan is bound on breaks in half. And all of a sudden he emerges and he's more alive than he's ever been before. And it's just this crazy, like never saw that happen. They go from weeping and crying, like what has happened to Aslan to like, Whoa, what has happened? And here's Aslan's explanation. They, they approach him, and here's what Aslan says, guys. It's exa- I, think, I think Lewis just pulls it right out of 2 Corinthians 2. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is magic deeper still that she did not know. Her knowledge only goes back to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness of the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. Isn't that beautiful? Like, oh yeah, she knew the rules and she knew about D-Magic. Oh, but there is a different rule set up before time ever began. And guys, that's exactly what Paul is saying here in in 1 Corinthians 2. He's saying this whole storyline of what I'm bringing about Jesus 
came before the ages. It was predestined by God before any of the rules were written, right? And none of the rulers of this age knew it or saw it coming. Here's, here's why he's saying that, guys. Look, look what he says in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Guys, if, if Satan would have known that by killing Jesus, he would free those who would believe in that story from the tyranny of death, that, would, that he would be crushed himself, that the enemy Satan would be crushed himself because of this act of killing Jesus. Had he known that bigger story, do you think he ever would have gone through with killing Jesus? Never. Do you think the religious rulers, the human leaders involved, that the religious rulers would have ever killed Jesus if they had known that on the other side of this, he was going to bust out of the grave and create this movement known as Christianity all around the world? Do you think the Roman rulers, the big, strong Roman rulers who sent, you know, guards to guard the tomb and all that, if they had any idea that what was coming, do you think they would have gone through the crucifixion when a resurrection was going to come and the greatest story ever told ever come? Nobody saw it coming, right? And here's what I'm saying. Guys, at Veritas, we are fully convinced that Jesus Christ took your place on the cross. The reason that Paul, way back up in, in verses one and two, is saying, when I came with you, I, I came to you with nothing more than this, the story of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's because he wants you guys to know as well, not the, just the Corinthians, but all who would hear the story, that Jesus Christ, the sinless one, the one who had never had any kind of treachery or traitor in him, the pure one saw that you guys were guilty, that I was guilty, that there was a bunch of Edmonds running all over this world who had done terrible things, and we deserved the punishment that we were going to give. And he stepped in and said, no, I'm going to take that for them. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, taking on the sins of the unrighteous ones. And it's all the hidden wisdom that God had planned before the ages. And I love that. Look at that. For our glory, at the end of verse 7, for our glory. Like, who saw that coming? Nobody saw that coming. It is the craziest story in the world that the God of the universe would come, take, take steps onto this planet, look over and see the dire place that you and I were in, and, and step in and take the death that you and I deserved. Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is the craziest story, but I'm telling you, we believe it with all our hearts. Jesus Christ forfeited his life for you. And if you would believe this crazy story of, of someone who would do that for you, if you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for you, I'm telling you, death will no longer bind you. The guilt of your, of your treachery will no longer have, have a hold on you. It will be fully paid for because of what Jesus Christ has done. And now the way that Paul ends this in, the, in this last, last section is here's the deal. He doesn't feel the need to jump up and down and say, you've got to believe this. You've got to believe this. He, he has no desire to go around and, and just force you to believe this thing because he knows God and God alone is going to convince you. So look at what he says starting in verse 10. He says this. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. 
Now really tune in here, verse 12. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things. He's saying, I don't just believe this. I'm speaking it. In fact, I'm being, I will annoy you with how often I'm going to speak these things to you, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But here's the reality. The person without the Spirit doesn't receive what comes from God's Spirit. It's actually foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that we may instruct that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I, I want to go back and reread verses 12 and 13. I think they bear repeating. I, I think we really need to zero in on those. We have not received the spirit of this world but the spirit who comes from God, that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Guys, um, Paul is saying that the spirit of the world, the, the way the world works, acts very differently than the way we do when we're talking about spiritual things. The spirit of this world tries to convince you, right? The, the spirit of the world comes out and tries to win you over, to convince you, even to coerce you if necessary, to, to strong arm you, to, to kind of argue you into submission. And guys, we're seeing this all over the place right now, right? All these different voices compelling you and trying to convince you of things. If I just get louder, maybe you'll agree with me. If I just say it louder and say it more forcibly, maybe you'll agree with me. And so I'm just going to keep getting louder and louder and more forceful. Maybe if I quote you more facts, maybe that's the problem. Maybe if I just overwhelm you with facts, maybe you'll finally agree with me on my issue, right? Maybe if I show you how many notable people I've got on my side versus those weaklings on your side. If I could just show you the team that I represent, that will overwhelm you and surely you'll believe what I'm saying. If I show you the most powerful people, the most powerful people are on my side, surely I'll win the day. Paul is saying, you know, actually, I'm not going to use any of those tools. That, that might be the way that in that marketplace of ideas, people try to win other people over. He goes, no, here's the Jesus way. Guys, we are so convinced that this story is true and so deeply spiritual that only God can convince you. Guys, here's what I'm saying. I know when I stand up here and tell you the story of Jesus Christ that God became man in Jesus Christ, So your plate, gave himself in your place to die your death on your account, rose again to, to promise you freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, fr freedom from even fearing mortal death itself. I know how crazy that must sound. And I'm telling you, if you're sitting here right now and you're like, that's the message of the Bible and that just sounds foolish to you, totally, I get it right? That sounds crazy. But here's what's true. <laughs> Jesus Christ gave his life for you so that you could live. That's what's true. 
And so if even right now, not only is that message not sounding crazy and foolish, in fact, if there's something in you that is starting to say, you know, actually, that is starting to make sense of this whole world. There's something inside me that starts saying, yeah, actually, I believe that. Well, get this. That's not me convincing you. You know what? That's God himself convincing you that this crazy story is actually true. You are actually exhibiting what I think he says in that very last verse, the mind of Christ. I think God himself is standing in front of you and it's overwhelming to you, convincing you that this crazy story is actually true. So guys, welcome to Veritas Church. (laughs) Welcome to Veritas Church where you're not going to see... very many strong or impressive people. In fact, the guy in front of you is probably a guy of middling size, you know, Uh, at at times I've sported a unibrow. I'm just going to say it, you know, so pretty unimpressive. But here is what I'm telling you boldly. I am telling you boldly from the scriptures that every time you, you come here, we are going to annoy you with talking about Jesus because he is our hope. He is our theme. He is our savior. The only reason we're here is because of Jesus Christ. And so we're just going to talk about Jesus incessantly because we are fully convinced that that crazy story is true. Absolutely true. And you don't have to worry about us trying to cram it down your throat. You don't have to worry about us trying to strong arm you into it. We're just going to talk about him a lot. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find at some point that you're either just going to have to walk away because it just sounds like absolute craziness, or you're going to find deep in your soul this absolute confirmation. Like, that is true. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And suddenly I feel free. I feel alive like I've never been alive before. You know what the Bible calls that? Being born again. (laughs) It's called being born again. It's like you've stepped into a whole new life, like the blinders have been taken off, like everything that, that you couldn't understand before suddenly makes sense. That is the life that we are inviting you to. And the way that we actually celebrate that the most, two ways. One is All those who have had that moment of awakening and said, I believe, they get baptized. We're going to have a baptism service uh, in just a few weeks. And if, if all of a sudden you're finding I've got new life, then join those of us who have believed and have been baptized because here's what happens. We go down under the water and we come back up and it's, it's like saying, I'm a whole new person. I feel like I was dead and now I'm alive. That's what baptism is. If, if that's your story that you have believed, man, be baptized, join us. And then the other way that we celebrate Jesus Christ and him crucified, the only message that you're going to hear from us is by having communion. And we're going to do that again today. So there's all these tables. In fact, if you're one of the servers or one of the worship leaders, you can start making your way to your your post because we're going to go into a time of communion because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to always remember the simplicity of this message. Jesus said, I died for you. My body, a real body was broken for you. Real blood was was spilled for you so that you could know forgiveness, so that you could know that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to celebrate by taking of the bread and of the cup that this message, as crazy it sounds, is true. And it it, it is like the the rock bed of our our lives. So as these guys um, lead us in worship, 
all these different stations all around. And I think this one right over, in fact, is, is the gluten-free. If you need the gluten-free one, you can come to this table right over here. But all these other tables all around here. Um, and, and we're doing it, guys, as, as safely as, as we possibly can. So what we're asking is that when you go up, you can, you can take your uh, own cup. And then if you just hold your hand out, they'll just kind of drop the bread into, into it. And I think it, it will be a, a beautiful and actually safe time for you to be able to, to hit pause in your life. And maybe even for the first time, you're saying, man, I do believe this. I do. As you hold that bread, remember, this crazy story is actually true. This isn't myth. This isn't folklore. This isn't some religious idea. A real body was actually broken for me. And you take that and you say, I, I believe it so much. As real as this bread is in my mouth, so real is the knowledge that Jesus Christ has given his life for me. And when you take the cup, it's as real as blood was spilled. That's as real as this cup is in my hand. I'm going to take it to remind myself the reality of Jesus Christ, him crucified, rose again so that we could all know life. So I want to pray for us as we go into our time of communion. Will you stand with me? And, and let's... uh. And let's just pray, and then we're going to worship and sing and commune. Jesus, um, oh man, I just have kind of had this kind of lump in my throat so often throughout this message because I'm reminded constantly of that of that night where somebody just began to tell me about you, Jesus, and and it was like all of a sudden it just made sense. It it all came together and took this reckless Edmund-like guy this traitor and in that moment you forgave me and gave me life and I know you're doing that all across this grass right now people who have already been convinced and people who are just being convinced right now Lord because it's a message that is true so Holy Spirit I pray that you would do what I could never do and that's convince us the truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And as we believe that afresh and anew, fill our, fill our mouths with the kind of song that you deserve. Help us to sing, not just out of some religious duty, but out of a passionate heart of gratitude, believing all over again what you have done for us. And you fill our hearts with joy this morning. These things we pray in Christ's name.